I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Thanks, Ken, and uh, it's good to be here. It seems a while ago now when we discussed the aspect of being able to sleep at night by making sure that you hadn't paid too much for your property. And you also explain how to lay the foundation for taking control of your borrowing arrangements. Would you like to expand on this in the sixth step of the investment formula, being how to lock in your loan terms? Let's have a look at this first, Ken, from the point of view of what traditionally happens or has happened over the years. And this, most people will feel this is pretty familiar, but what you tend to do is to buy your commercial property and then go to your financier. Now, you may have had some preliminary discussions with them just to broad term scope that the money's available and what sort of interest rate, but but basically you don't start to firm up those discussions until after you've bought the property. You go in there with a contract of sale. So you firm up on the loan terms and then they say, well, the next step is we've got to organise a valuation. And hopefully everything goes smoothly from there on right through to settlement. But basically that's the procedure. Buy the property, go see your financier, finalise the commercial terms, organise a valuation or they organise the valuation and then you proceed through to settlement. What practical impact does this have on the outcome with your with your lending arrangements? How does this affect you practically, your outcome? Well, what you need to understand is exactly what has just taken place. Effectively, you have made a, an exclusive commitment to one lender. And this is the way most people operate. They, have, they feel a relationship with their bank or, or a favoured financier, depending on whether you do this regularly or you have had a relationship with your own home or, or whatever it is. But that's the way most people tend to work. Alternatively, you could use a broker and identify a source But even then, you tend to follow the traditional approach. Now, it's possible to shop your contract, your purchase contract around between a couple of lenders. Either you do it personally or you do it through a finance broker. But you need to remember what is happening here. The clock is ticking towards a fixed settlement date. And so, yes, you can shop it around but you're not really in that strong a position because you can't dilly-dally too long. It might be a 60-day settlement. By the time you get a valuation done, that could be the best part of three weeks. There might be some other delays that you don't know about. So really, you can't waste too much of the time that's set aside for settlement. And so what you have is time working against you. Now, if you remember back to step four, That was on negotiation. We talked about the three key components, power, information, and time. Now, time has the effect that the closer you get to your deadline, the power shifts from one party to another. And so the financiers are fully aware 
that with you having a fixed end date by which you have to settle, working backwards, you have to make a decision to run with them or not run with them. And once you make the decision to do that, they have you locked in. And that's exactly what they want. And so this is why it's important that you understand the implication of what it is that you're doing. And also, if you look at the traditional approach, you agree the loan terms, then they instruct the valuer. Now, lenders, whether they say it or not, reserve their final decision until the valuation is in. And I can't tell you the number of times, going back quite a few years now, when people would submit a purchase contract with the anticipation that that's what it would be valued at. And with residential properties, that generally is the case. But with commercial properties, it's not. The valuers more cautious and invariably they will come in with a valuation which is it may be close to but invariably it will be under the purchase price and the interesting thing I've found with the clients that I work with is the number of times their their lender will say to them how surprised they were to find out that the valuation came in at the price they had paid because that is not normally the case and so These are the sort of implications that you have to be aware of and that's why this locking in your loan terms and the process for going about doing it properly is so crucial. And what about those last-minute surprises you alluded to a couple of weeks ago? How do you handle them? Yes, I did allude to some of the last-minute surprises, but I've just mentioned one a moment ago, and that is that you have the fond belief, having purchased the property, that the value will come in at the figure you purchased it for. And if the valuer doesn't, then your calculations of your loan to valuation ratio are blown out of the water and you're required to chip in some more equity or provide additional security so that the bank can meet your expectations as far as the amount of money being contributed towards the purchase of the property. So yes, you have those surprises, but there are other surprises. And those are that, particularly in a market that we've just come out of and and to a degree we're still in, you, you have this nebulous credit committee that the lenders, whether they're banks or, or other financiers, seem to refer to. So you have the, the contract is there, you've negotiated the terms, the valuation comes in and, and hopefully it's at or, or about the figure you've purchased it for. But then three or four weeks out from settlement, the loan officer comes to you and says, look, the credit committee is getting very nervous. Uh, they're a bit concerned and they, you know, they talk about overseas economies and what's happening in America or maybe it's a local things. The Reserve Bank is in their last interest adjustment, made some comments that, I mean, the excuses are extraordinary, wide and varied, but extraordinary. And they say, as a result of that, what we need to do is to have either a floating charge over your business or maybe a a lien over your home or some other form of security just to give the comfort that the loan committee now requires to proceed forward from here. 
Now, think about it. You're three weeks out from settlement. What are you going to do? You can't suddenly decide to go off and get another valuation because that's going to take minimum two, probably three weeks to obtain. Until you have that, you can't talk sensibly with any other financier. When you come at this late stage to another financier, you're not in a strong position because settlement's looming. And they're going to say, well, why are you coming to us? And you've got to fess up that you've been already talking with so-and-so and they've mucked you around. So the next financier knows they're in a very, very strong position to ask for similar conditions on the loan or alternatively say to you, look, yeah, we can do the loan, but it's going to cost you half a percentage point more in interest rate. So then you're weighing up, well, do I add, provide the added security the first one asked for, first financier, or do I agree to this less security but half an interest percentage point on the cost of the loan? And you're in this dilemma, and these are the surprises you don't need. I mean, they're not built into your uh, program, and you certainly don't need them. That's why it's all part of this making sure you sleep well at night. And so what you need to have is a system, a method, to ensure that these surprises are addressed well in advance, anticipated, and locked away at the early stages of your negotiation with your financier. So the second part of your question is, how do you handle these surprises? Now, if you think about it, the crucial element in the sequence, the traditional sequence, is the valuation itself. Now, when you cast your mind back to the the first part of this finance segment, which was the the sleeping at night, we we got an opinion from a valuer which is what I I get for my clients, where he provides or she provides a figure up to which they're prepared to support. Now, as I said, if you end up buying it for less than that figure, they're not going to value it any higher than what you pay. But you have the comfort of knowing at the outset that you haven't paid too much. That was the benefit there. Now, people say to me, well, why would a valuer, Chris, provide that to you at no cost. Well, it's it's real simple because you've got to understand that the valuers are all on a panel with the various finance institutions. And generally, depending on how big a loan book they've got, they might have anywhere from five to eight valuers on a panel. So if it's a large lending institution, they'll have a large panel. So And they rotate it around so that they allocate the work. And to a degree... It's rotational. Sometimes if if some valuers are specialist in some type of property, they will get more than others. But let's assume for the moment it's rotation around on an even basis. They therefore have a one in eight chance of getting appointed to do the valuation when you take your contract to the bank. However, with my clients, I don't get the valuer involved until we are 85, 90% of the way down the track in purchasing the particular property. And the undertaking I have, and this is what I explain to my clients, in return for giving initial comfort that you're not paying too much, once you purchase the property, you will then instruct the valuer to do carry out a valuation on your behalf. Now, from the valuer's point of view, he or she knows that they have a 90% chance of getting the deal. 
as opposed to a one in six, seven or eight chance when they're appointed by the bank. Now, instead of getting a formal packaged up bound valuation, what we ask them for at this early stage is a soft copy of the valuation. Now, either you or your finance broker, and I would counsel you to use a competent finance broker, then send out that soft copy to a short list of two, three, four potential financiers who are in the ballpark as far as their commercial terms are concerned. Now, if you think about it, what are we doing? We're sending with that email of the soft copy an unspoken comment that don't muck us around here, give us your best deal because we've obviously sent this to one or more other lending institution. So therefore, it's not a matter of a lot of bartering. They know they've got to come back with a, with a good deal commercially. Now that's number one. So we sort that out and do it very quickly. But you are now in control because you have the crucial bit of information that every lending source needs, and that is proper formal valuation. But at this point, they don't own it. You do. So you get the best commercial terms. And when you've chosen your number one or or maybe two that are are considered to be appropriate from the interest rate and and, uh, commercial terms are concerned, then your finance broker will ask them for the legal contract. Now, again, they're not going to introduce any spurious terms or, or tricky clauses because they know at this point they still haven't been appointed or chosen. So now you have the best commercial terms and the best legal terms for the deal and now you get them to sign off on a final offer that you can accept and not until you get that in a form that you can simply accept it do you arrange to have the valuer assign the valuation across to the lending institution. And so by doing that, they forfeit the right to introduce any last-minute surprises or changes or requirements or security needs, really the death knock as far as the settlement is concerned. And if for some reason they did, but using a broker, you've got your second best choice, which is generally pretty close to the first, and you just simply go back to them and say, listen, we've rethought it. We felt we were able to sort one out with this other group, but we can't. Let's do the deal with you. So that way you are in full control. You have the, the banks or financiers eating out of your hand because they are, in fact, pitching for your business rather than you going cap in hand to try and persuade them to do the deal that you want them to do and hold that deal all the way through to settlement. Do you have any last-minute tips before we finish? Last-minute tips, okay. Let's stick to the finance side rather than introduce just general tips in property. One of the things you've got to look at is the actual security you offer for the property. Now, yes, the property itself will provide security, but generally they'll want guarantees. And you've got to think through how that impacts on other assets that you have. And one of the things I would counsel you to do is to place each property in its own entity. 
and more often than not, that is, it would be a unit trust with a corporate trustee. And the advantage of that is it quarantines what goes on with that property. So if, God forbid, the worst thing happened and you had to default on the mortgage, it doesn't impact on other properties. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly your family home. So what banks like to do, and I had one instant recently where the poor fellow and his family were so cross-collateralised that every single property, their homes, their investment properties, everything, were all bundled up and the banks sell it to you on the basis, look, that's great, you have it there. If ever you need to buy another property, we can just quickly look at the portfolio, uh, release a bit of equity if it's there, and then you can go and buy the next next property, and then we'll just tip that into as well and, and just extend the loan. That all sounds very easy. And as I say to clients, nothing's a problem until it's a problem, and then it's a bloody big problem. So I would counsel you to to firstly, as I said, have a separate entity and then think through what sort of guarantees. Now, what you can do is to take out what's called a non-recourse loan. Now, if you get your borrowing down to, say, 60 or 65% as a maximum, then you can have the property itself act as the sole security for the loan. Now, for people that are a little older and perhaps a little more risk-averse, that could well be the case. In fact, some people are comfortable or prefer to only borrow 50%. Well, if that's the case, sure, the financiers will ask for personal guarantees, but there are plenty of lenders around that will happily do a non-recourse loan for up to 65%. In some cases, it might cost you an extra point or two percentage, but for that freedom of not having to personally guarantee or provide other additional security to be lodged as part of the loan, that freedom is gold. Now, you might say, well, I really need to, given my equity position, probably have to borrow up to 70 or 75%. Well, there's another way to look at it. What you could do is, with your family home, is to take out a line of credit because more often than not, if you've owned the home for a while, you've either paid down the loan or can have it revalued and take out a, a new loan and release some equity. But if you, the thing with a residential loan is it's always a percentage or a percentage and a half the interest rate lower than for a commercial loan. So maybe one of the ways you could do is augment your equity into the new commercial property with funds released out of your residential property because then the shandy of the two rates of interest when combined will be lower by taking up to 65% on the commercial property and then topping up your equity from the line of credit on your residential property. The overall loan will be cheaper than taking out 70 or 75%. So you've got a cost saving immediately there but also it means you don't have to provide a personal guarantee on the commercial property. So there are little ways that you can do this, and sometimes you just need to sit down, as I said, with a competent finance broker so that you can think this through and end up with the best possible transaction as far as you're concerned. And this is all part and parcel of what I do when I, I mentor 
clients and, and show them and introduce them to all these consultants that specialise in their own fields and therefore can bring a lot to the table as far as you're concerned. I think this layout rounds out the process of borrowing funds and doing it properly. So I feel it's been really helpful and I would encourage listeners to go to the propertybriefings.com website and leave some comments and questions that we can address. So until next week. And I'll look forward to joining you again at the same time.